it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here, and hope you've come expecting a blessing from the Lord. And uh, remember, Evelyn, in your prayer, she's sick this morning, and so uh, pray for her, and um, she'll um, get better. And um, seems like there's someone else missing too, but I can't think who it is. So maybe that's it. Uh, but uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. And last week we looked at chapter 14, and so we were skipping uh, four chapters. Uh, and uh, last week, uh, chapter 14 was the end of a parenthesis where uh, John is reminding us that Jesus is the victor and that uh, we can be encouraged as God's people. And today we're going to look at um, chapter 19. Uh, in chapters 15, 16, 17 and 18, uh, John records for us the unfolding of the last bits of uh, judgment and wrath uh, on the earth, and there are some battles uh, there that take place, uh, and um, ultimately, uh, Babylon, I mean, Satan, uh, this world, the forces that are fighting against God, are ultimately overthrown. And so uh, that's where we're going to pick up today. Uh, we're going to begin reading in Revelation 19 verse 1. It says, After these things I heard a loud saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged uh, the great harlot who has corrupted the earth with her fornication." And he has avenged on her the blood of his servant shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. When a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you, his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are uh, called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written uh, that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the, uh, the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing on the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of that great God, that you shall eat the flesh of the kings, and the flesh of the captains, and the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the king of the earth, uh, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast uh, into, uh, alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed uh, with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all of the birds were filled uh, with their flesh. And so uh, what a, an interesting and uh, probably pretty strange uh, turn of events and some imagery here that uh, John gives us here in uh, this chapter uh, and reminds us that, listen, there, were, there was this great tribulation coming, uh, and there's a lot of different views of all that that's going uh, to take place uh, and how it's going to take place. But one thing we're reminded of, regardless of what uh, take you might uh, have on uh, the end times and the millennial reign of Christ and the tribulation, one thing is sure is that Jesus is coming back again, and he is going to be victorious. Uh, and so we're reminded as John begins his conclusion uh, to uh, this redemptive story of God that started way back in Genesis um, is going to wrap up in uh, Revelation chapter 22 uh, that, and we'll get there in a few weeks. And, uh, but it reminds us that God is in control and he will have his way that it will come to pass exactly like he said that it would. And so the first thing that I want us to note in these first several verses, the first seven verses of this chapter, John reminds us that Jesus exercises his power. That Jesus is called the omnipotent, the almighty. Um, glory and honor and power belong to our God. To this one named Jesus that he had the power and the ability uh, to uh, not o only pay the sin debt uh, for all of mankind, the sin that all of us owed, the debt that we all owed, that, but we couldn't pay it. Jesus paid it. That shows his, his power, but raising from the dead after three days, that really shows power, doesn't it? These things that are dead tend to stay dead but not when God's involved. 
because God is almighty. And so here we're reminded uh, yet again that the New Testament affirms to us that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, And, you know, if we think too hard and try too hard to understand that, we'll get a good headache. Uh, But it's one of those things we accept and just receive by faith. Uh, That we know that, you know, the truth of it is not dependent on us understanding it or being able to figure it out. But we're reminded over and over and over again that God is the one that's all-powerful, not us. It was God that was there when the earth was uh, void and it was just this glob out there and uh, God spoke and you remember he brought order to it and he he made creation and uh, he made the uh, sun and the moon and the birds and the land and the sea and the fish and all the animals and then finally uh, people. Uh, Paul reminds us in the letter of Colossians that Jesus was uh, there at creation. Uh, that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed and always been working. Uh, and Jesus came and was became flesh in that little town of Bethlehem uh, two millennia ago. Um, but it, the Bible reaffirms over and over and over again that Jesus is all-powerful. And so the the people that are there, the, the 24 elders, um, the four living creatures, they all fall, fall down and they worship God who was sitting on the throne. Um, so that's God the Father there and that, that image of on the throne is used throughout the book of Revelation and Jesus at the end is going to join uh, that throne. Um, but they, they sing Hallelujah. And uh, so his servants praised him uh, and were encouraged to to sing praise to him. uh, Those who were great and small. And I encourage you to go back and read chapters 15 uh, through 18. And you're going to see that, you know, uh, those beasts that we looked at uh, and and met last time... uh, called the governments of this earth and kind of uh, cajoled them, if you will, and said, hey, listen, let's come together uh, as an alliance and let's defeat God's people and we'll feed their flesh to the birds. Well, here we find God is all-powerful. And so God's plan is always going to work out. And God thwarts man's plans oftentimes, and he does here. And it's those that had made this alliance, these kings who are, these rulers, those in authority that had led people astray, and those that had taken the mark of the beast were the ones who uh, the birds uh, were filled with their flesh. Uh, And so, you know, we can make plans, and to be honest, for eons. People have been trying to to thwart God, to snuff him out, to prove that they could be their own maker. And guess what? This never worked. God has shown up time and time again and said, hey, no, you are not your own maker. 
uh, I am your maker. Uh, and, uh, and so Jesus exercises his power, and part of that power is bringing judgment. Uh, because God is holy, and because he is all power, he is going to defeat Satan, and we, we're going to hear more about that uh, next time. Um, but he is all-powerful. He is the one. And listen, it should encourage us, and it sh- John wanted it to encourage the first century church that he was writing to, that if Jesus can, has the power to raise people from the dead, if he has power to feed thousands of people, if he has power to uh, heal the sick, he has the power to take care of you. And so as the people were going through persecution uh, from a government that was not friendly uh, to people of faith, John's message is, listen, God is there with you, and God is... You know, in, in your weakness and through these difficulties, God is going to show you how great and powerful He is. And so, in, in heaven, they recognize that, and they, they praise Him for that, and say, listen, He is the Almighty One. And so, we need to recognize and understand the Bible is constantly working to try to remind folks, we are not the all-powerful one. But we can know the one who is. And so John wants to encourage us uh, with that. But then not only does Jesus exercise his power, but Jesus also fulfills his promises. There are over 300 uh, prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus directly fulfills. Jesus made some promises to his disciples in the Gospels that are fulfilled in the book of Revelation. He promises his people uh, victory. And he promises them that he will never leave them and he will never forsake them. That he will sit upon a throne. God had promised David that. Um. you know, uh, many, many centuries before Jesus would even come to earth. And there was a long time where there was not a throne being occupied in Israel, here on earth. And we understand that that's not the throne that God was talking about when he made that promise. He was talking about a heavenly throne, a throne that God would reign on the way that he was supposed to and the way he intended to. But as we're studying 1 Samuel on Wednesday night, you'll remember that people clamored and said, we want a king like everybody else. Uh, And that's a a good reminder of the lesson, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. Uh, And sometimes it might not be quite as good as you thought it would be. And so the people certainly found out that having a king and being like all the other nations, certainly not all that it was cut out to be. Uh, And they endured great uh, troubles and and tribulations. And yet through it all, God said, you know what? The day's going to come when I'm going to redeem my people and all this uh, strife and all this uh, curse of sin is going to be defeated. 
And it took a long, long time for that to happen, and it hasn't happened yet. But one day it will fully happen, and sin will be no more. And it will have no more power and no more dominion. And so a reminder that God keeps his promises. God never makes a promise that he does not keep. You know, we sometimes as human beings may make some promises that maybe we intend to keep, but we're not able to because things come up or, you know, circumstances change. Or, and yet God never makes a promise that he's not able and that he doesn't intend to keep. And so Jesus fulfills the promises that he made and that God made, all the way back in the Old Testament, and that Jesus made in uh, the New Testament, as he told his disciples, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He said, you know what, you'll overcome. He said, I've come that you might have life. And not just life, but abundant life, a full life, a joyful life. That doesn't mean that everything that happens to us as God's children is good. As the church in the first century when John wrote uh, this, letter, this book, as he received this revelation, again, times were tough. And God, through John, reminded his people, hey, listen, I promised you I was going to be there for you, so trust me. Have your faith, put your faith and trust in me. And what a great and important reminder that is. And then lastly, not only does Jesus exercise his power and fulfill his promises, but the third thing that I want to see is that Jesus knows his position. Scattered throughout this chapter is a reminder of who Jesus is. That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's going to come a day that everybody will make that proclamation and realize that. But for far too many people, it's going to come too late. Because when you're standing before him in eternity, what you have done and the choice you've made to either accept his gift or reject it has been sealed and you can't change it. And scripture reminds us that even Satan knew that Jesus was who he said he was. They knew who the, the demons, remember, as Jesus encountered a lot of demons in the Gospels, they knew exactly who Jesus was. Jesus knew who he was as well. And his rightful play, his. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Just exactly as he said. But he's also a groom. He also is the head of the church. Paul reminds us of that in uh, several of his letters. That Paul sees us and reminds us that Jesus is the head of the church. That this promised marriage supper of the Lamb, 
this part where they're united and made one, is finally fully realized in eternity. At the end of time when Jesus comes back again. And so he recognizes his position as king of kings and lord of lords. He recognizes his position as the bridegroom. He recognizes his position as the one who is faithful and true. He recognizes his position as the word of God. John is the one that refers to Jesus that way. In fact, that's how his gospel begins. uh, Talking about how Jesus Christ is the incarnate son of God, the Messiah, the one that God had promised Uh, that was going to come to deliver his people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But he also recognized his position as judge. So Jesus wears a lot of hats. He does a lot of things. But here's the thing. He knows all those things that he has to do. And he's very good at it. And he does it perfectly. He perfectly embodies the Word. In fact, He is the Word of God, John says, in John chapter 1. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is that perfect groom. He is faithful. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake. In other words, Jesus reminded his disciples, he reminds us, God will always be there for us. That's one of those promises that he perfectly fulfills. But he also knows how to fight. And he will fight. And these last couple chapters of the book of Revelation records for us this great battle that's going to take place where Satan is once and for all finally defeated. Jesus here, we have a picture of him riding on this white horse and remember that white uh, is color of victory and horse was a a symbol of power. They're, They're strong animals. But not... And it's interesting, just as a side note, it's not just Jesus that's riding on horses. It's the saints. It's those that have trusted in his name, trusted that in his sacrifice. They're riding with him. And finding victory that can only come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus assumed this position as king of kings and lord of lords and as warrior and as word of God, he comes and he finds these beasts that have led the world astray. And he defeats them. He sends them to this lake of fire and brimstone, which uh, Jesus used in the Gospels and John is using here as a uh, a place of punishment, we understand. It's an eternal place of hell. Uh, that it's a place of torment. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth there. It's a horrible, horrendous place. 
It's some place that you wouldn't even want your worst enemy to go to. It's so horrible. And yet many will spend eternity there. And so Jesus uh, sends these beasts right into that lake. And then he said he kills uh, with the sword those who proceeded from the mouth of him and... um, you know, talking about those that had taken the mark of the beast, those that had followed him, those that had been deceived, those that, that didn't accept the offer that Jesus gave uh, to find new life and to find hope and to find a new power and redemption in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and by faith receiving that. And so they ultimately will spend eternity in torment as all lost will and as Satan will and as his demons will and those that die without a relationship with Jesus Christ having put their faith and trust in God. You know what? It reminds us that Jesus is the one that is rightfully on the throne in heaven, but also a challenge for us to make absolutely sure that Jesus is on the throne of our heart and of our life. You see, Jesus cannot just be your king in eternity. He has to be your king here on earth as well. And if he's not your king here on earth, he's not going to be in heaven either. Jesus will reign in heaven for all eternity. And Revelation reminds us that his saints, those that have accepted that free gift that Jesus offered, will reign with him. But not only will we be reigning with him, but we will be worshiping him. Revelation talks about us taking our our crowns that we have and casting them At the feet of Jesus. Recognizing and understanding that it's not us that's worthy. But it's just what these elders and these four beasts declared. There's one who's worthy. And his name is Jesus. And he was faithful to exercise his power. And to fulfill his promises. And to take the position that God had given him. And notice that how that position came about was by him lowering himself. Not just becoming human, but by becoming a baby. The alt- I mean, babies are the, I mean, they are the least capable of mankind, aren't they? They can't do anything for themselves. Uh, Other than pee and poop, that's really all they can do on their own. Somebody has to feed them, somebody has to change them, somebody has to put them to bed, somebody has to carry them or push them. And yet Jesus says, you know what? I love my creation, my most favored creation, people. So much. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to be a baby. I'm going to start out as a baby. Then I'm going to grow up in this little insignificant town called Nazareth in a little common house with a carpenter dad. And I'm going to walk around and I'm going to teach folks. I'm going to go to those that are hurting. I'm going to go to the outcasts. I'm not going to be concerned about making a name for myself or being politically correct or having uh, the right ears of the rich and famous and the powerful. And then I'm not only going to come as a baby, but I'm going to leave this world in the most despised way on a cross of Calvary. That was the worst way to die. It was certainly probably the most painful way a person could be executed. But it meant if you were crucified, that meant you were just the lowest, lowest dirt uh, of the community. And Jesus took that on himself for me and you. Because he knew he, he was not worthy. He didn't deserve that cross. But he also knew that we couldn't pay the debt that we owed. And so he took a position to pay that price for us. And though he left heaven, he didn't leave it for good. Because he went back and reclaimed that rightful spot. And he's going to come back and reclaim his church one day. And he's going to take this old sin-cursed world and all, of it, all the stuff that sin has done to it and wipe it away and make it new again. And what a wonderful thing uh, that will be. So the victory has not come yet in chapter 19, but it's coming. Jesus is on the throne, he's, he's judging, uh, he's defeating, and um, we're going to see next time it, it gets even closer uh, to that final victory. So I hope God will encourage us, because I see, you know, we're living uh, in a world that is probably just as discouraging uh, in many ways as the first century was for the church. There is more persecution and more people are dying and being martyred for their faith in the last hundred years than all previous, you know, 1900 years in, in just these last hundred years. Why would they do that? Because they understand that it's not about the things of this world. It's about knowing Jesus and having him change your world. And not just change your world, but change your eternity. And that's where the real victory is. Not by you being blessed on earth. And we all can stand and say, you know what, I'm blessed and I'm thankful I am. I'm more blessed than I certainly deserve. And yet, we, don't even, we can't even begin to fathom the blessings that we'll find in eternity. 
Because it's not about this world. It's about eternity. And it's about knowing Jesus. And making him known. And so we as God's people. Should be on the way to victory. And remember that we're on the way to victory. Just the way that Jesus. Will ultimately have victory. So I hope God will encourage us with that. uh, Today. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed for Sunday.